everyone, you're listening to the Tab Geeks podcast. My name is Jesse Nolan. I'm your host and the co-founder of Tab Geeks. This is actually the first podcast recording that I've done since the beginning of the pandemic, and it feels good to be back behind the microphone. Welcome back to the Tab Geeks podcast, everyone. My guest today is Tanya Jenka. Tanya Jenka is also known as She Hacks Purple, or as I like to call her, the queen of everything purple. She's the founder of the company We Hack Purple, which is an online learning academy dedicated to teaching everyone how to create secure software, which I don't need to tell you is extremely important. With over 20 years of IT and coding experience, she's won numerous awards, worked as developer, pen tester, and AvSec engineer. She was also named Hacker of the Year by Cybersecurity Women of the Year 2019 uh, awards, sorry, and is the founder of uh, WOSEC, Women of Sec International, I believe that is, and Cyber Mentoring Monday, and OWASP, DevSlop, uh, as we'll hear, uh, I'm sure, about all of these. Welcome to the podcast, Tanya. Thank you so much for having me, Jesse. I feel honored to be your first guest since the pandemic. Yeah, thank you very much for coming. And this has been a long, a long time coming, really. I mean, we've pinged off each other over the years, and and we've talked a lot on Twitter, and, and uh, I'm glad that we're finally made it to get together to uh, get you on the podcast. So welcome again. Thank you. Our topic for this podcast is application security. And the reason for that topic is because, as you heard, Tanya is quite an expert here, but I will let her tell you about that in a moment. First, we get to do my favorite part of the podcast, which is, Tanya, how did you get into tech? Everyone's got a story. What's yours? Well, I think that my story is really unusual for a woman. Um, Basically, all the women in my family and all the men were computer scientists. So my aunt was the first computer scientist woman to graduate in Ontario. That's the province that I come from. And then my other aunt also graduated computer science. And then my dad got um, a technology degree or no, a diploma. And then my mom got a mathematics degree and then she also got a chemistry degree. And then my other aunt went back to school and then four of my uncles got computer science degrees. And then a bunch of my cousins, one's a mechanical engineer that teaches at Waterloo University. And then my other older cousin, she ended up being a chemist and then going back to school with me and taking computer science. So then when I was 17 or 18 and I said, I think I want to take computer science. My whole family was like, what else would you take? <laughs> Another <What>? one. <laughs> they're just like, it was that or like mechanical engineering or, but they're like, yeah, obviously you would do that. And I play guitar. So I had made like this little how to play guitar app when I was a teenager. And they're just like, obviously you will be taking computer science. That's amazing. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't think that's the normal story though that all of your female role models were technical. I think that's like a little unusual, <laughs> but I'm very grateful. No, certainly not. <laughs> and a lot of people it's funny cuz every time I ask somebody this question they're like, "Oh, it's actually it's a really funny story." So, you're you're in line with that, but definitely this is unusual having so many people in your family doing computer science. I would have just messed with them and been like, "I'm going to be a doctor." Bye. <laughs> They'd be so disappointed. (laughs) Yeah. So you come from a long line of computer scientists, and that's one hell of a legacy to live up to. What was that like? Honestly, I never felt any pressure. My family's ridiculously chill. They're never like, you have to take computer science. They let me come to it on my own. My parents told me in high school, you know, you have to take one of the computer classes because computers are the future and we don't want you to be a dum-dum that doesn't know them. And then I took it and then I was like, I think I want to take the next one. And they're like, okay. And then I was like, I want to take the next one. And they're like, we, we know. And then I was like, so I sort of signed up for, I sort of submitted a thing for computer science. So we know. (laughs) So yeah, it was, 
I feel like a lot of people that get pressure from their family, especially um, I live in Canada. And so around a third of adults are immigrants. And a lot of them tell me their family, like pressure them, like you have to do this, you have to do that. I'm like, oh, my family was like, oh, that sounds good. And yet, of course, you still ended up in what is the family profession. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, my sister's a yoga teacher. So, I mean, that oh, there's really, there's the black sheet. Right. We like, found it. I mean, she is an amazing, amazingly skilled yoga teacher and she does teach over the Internet. But people are they're like, well, she is the most fit of all of us. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> well, being able to teach yoga over the Internet is uh, suddenly extremely in demand skill right now. Right. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. So uh, you started taking classes in uh, in college and one after the other, you got into more and more computer science classes. What was it like starting in your career? Uh, I believe you said it was uh, 20 years ago uh, or, or 20 or so years ago. Um, women in tech today is still a challenge. I don't like to um, to harp on that too much because I believe that everyone should be talking about their individual um, triumphs. And uh, mm-hmm. but I know that you are are a champion of this cause. And so I wanted to kind of ask you to go into that a little bit. So I actually started computer science in high school and then actually got a job at a computer company in high school and then continue and then went to college and worked at a startup and then actually started my own startup and like all the stuff, like from the moment I was legal (laughs) and every place I worked, there was usually one other woman in the entire like technology ward sort of thing. And she would always be a wallflower. Like you barely knew she was there. She would like blend into the wall, dress very, very, um, conservatively, conservatively. Yeah. And, um, like I, I was like a goth until I was like maybe 34 (laughs) when I discovered color, like I wore all black and I would show up with like my crazy purple or blue hair because I was in punk rock bands and playing music professionally in the evenings. And like I'd show up with like fishnets and be like, what's up, guys? I'm going to hack this stuff. Like <laughs> I'd be wearing a hoodie and a skirt like <laughs> and like boots up to my knees and red lipstick. And they're just like, what's happening? Um, so I stood out a bit and I like I have found Like there's been like I've had lots of situations where there was sexual harassment, but because I had worked in music and I also did acting for a while and comedy where the sexism's really overt. So whenever someone would try to be sexist to me in IT, I would just make them regret it so badly that like they never did it again. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, this is nothing compared to a punk rock concert. Like. I didn't even have to punch anyone or throw anyone off a stage. I was just so like whenever someone would say something sexist to me, I'm like, I'm going to throw this back like tenfold and embarrass the shit out of you in front of your peers now. That sounds amazing. I'd love to see you throwing somebody off a stage in tech conference. Just be like, come on, what you got? Let's go. So I feel like in almost all situations in IT, whenever there was like something weird, I was mostly able to kind of handle it myself. There were a few occasions like I got someone fired once from the federal government for being wicked, ridiculously out of line. Um, but it turned out he was out of line with Good. 10 other people before me. And then I ended up getting everyone to do a work to rule until they fired him. I was just like, no, this is not. No, no. <laughs> and so 
I am seeing things improve a lot in tech. And but also here's the thing is that I'm older now and therefore seem probably less of a target. And also I'm very confident in myself. And I'm five foot nine and like 160, 170 pounds. So like I'm not like a tiny woman. So I'm like the average height for a man. And I don't know if you know, but like people in tech are slightly shorter than people in general. And so like I'm above average height for the men in tech. So I'm as tall or taller than more than half of them. And so I don't think I get the same issues that smaller women or younger women or women that didn't sing in punk bands and therefore have this overt, (laughs) like I've had people say they're like, Oh, you have boundaries, like brick walls with razor wires and machine guns on top. Like it's very clear where not to pass. And if someone is passing it, like they're a brave man. (laughs) Um, so, so I think that like someone wouldn't, generally choose me, I would be like a bad choice. Does that make sense? And so I, I do still have lots of women tell me a lot of things that make me sad. And, um, sometimes I can help them and sometimes I can't. And so that's part of why a bunch of us started WOSAC women of security. So at first we were called cyber ladies. Then we were briefly called WIST and it turns out WIST with a T sounds just like WISP with a P. And so everyone thought we were the same thing. And so we politely apologized like crazy to Wisp um, for the confusion and then changed our name again to Wosek because that sounds like nothing else. <laughs> not like an attractive name. Don't get me wrong. We're not great at marketing, but we just didn't want to annoy any other women's groups. Um, and Hey, it's obvious and descriptive. What more do you need? Right. Um, and so basically it just started like I went to Israel And in Israel, uh, most adults have to do military service and lots of them end up learning cybersecurity. And so their workforce of adult women, lots of them kick total cyber butt. And so they'll have like a women's meetup and there'll be 100 or 200 women there. And I was like, I've never seen this before. Like I went to a capture the flag and I invited every woman I knew on LinkedIn in my city. And then there were 11 of us. (laughs) And I kid you not, Jesse, we made the news twice. They're like, look at all these women. They showed up in cute party dresses and danced when they got flags and like, People were like, can we interview you? I'm like, is it seriously news that women showed up to a tech event? Like, okay. And so I was so excited by like what they had going on in Israel. And they're like, you should start your own thing. And I told my friend Donna, she's like, like we had brunch and she's like, how about this? How about we just make a meetup? And we'll just tell everyone we know. And it'll probably be you, me, Nancy and Katie, because those are the only women we knew in security in our city. And then you know, we'll have brunch once a month for six months. And if no one comes, we'll just pack it in. And I was like, okay. And so the first month we had 22 women show up and we were so loud from then on, they gave us our own room. (laughs) They're like, all your giggling and laughing and squealing is awesome, but you're so much louder than the rest of our customers. We're going to give you a private room. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. And then this woman in, um, this woman in Vancouver, Duha, she's like, hi, I'm Duha and I follow you on LinkedIn and you look like you're having so much fun. Can you help me do that? And I was like, yeah. And then I met this other woman named Judy in Kenya and she's like, that looks like fun. Can we do that? And then these other two women in Montreal. And then before I knew it, we had chapters, we had 10 chapters. And so then when I was speaking 
at all these conferences, I started telling them about it. And then women would say to me after, I want that in my city. How do I do it? And I said, just start a meetup and I'll like call you and we'll figure out, I'll help you. And then now we have a board of directors and we just filed our nonprofit paperwork. How did this happen, Jesse? It's amazing. That is incredible. What a story. We have third, over 30 chapters. I think we have 32 chapters around the world right now. And we've paused growing because of COVID because for obvious reasons, we don't want to put anyone in physical danger. And so right now we're actually actively developing an online platform for women in every place around the world with internet to be able to connect and talk and have fun together. Wow. And it's free. Really amazing work. (laughs) The whole thing's free because I want every woman to be able to go, not just the ones that can afford it. Absolutely. And, And the internet really is exploding today in ways that it hasn't in past years, thanks to the pandemic and everybody being from home and just looking for some kind of connection. And I've even noticed that the traffic on this podcast has gone through the roof as a result. And, you know, we were kind of creeping along for a while there and now it's it's spiking and and there's a decent percentage of our listeners that are women. And uh, I encourage them all to uh, to join you. Yay. Hi, ladies. Come join us. <laughs> <laughs> and I totally can relate to the Israel bit. I actually moved to Israel uh, for six years when I was 20. I I officially moved there, became a citizen, and I had to serve in the army. And uh, I can I can tell you from personal experience that not only are the women totally badasses in cybersecurity, the ones that go to the cybersecurity units and kick butt in cybersecurity, they also kick butt in person. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. They're amazing. I have a bunch of Israeli friends now, like thanks to getting to visit Israel three times when I worked at Microsoft and just outstanding. Amazing. Now, what was that like working at Microsoft? I know that you were a developer advocate. You got to travel the world and just basically talk about what you love to do, right? Yeah, there were. So basically it was like 90% fun and 10% super stressful <laughs> because <laughs> I am a master of overcommitting. I can overcommit, Jesse, in a way that no other human can. <laughs> I remember my... I need an example for this. Like I remember my boss saying, Tanya, you know, there's this word, no. Have you heard of it? <laughs> Uh, Yeah, an example of overcommitting would be that I'm speaking six times, not this week, but next week, because it's cybersecurity month. I'm speaking 20 times this month. Oh, wow. Yeah. Plus, I'm recording, I think, 10 different podcasts, plus four episodes of my own podcast, plus two or three episodes of the Dev Slop show. I'm just ridiculous, Jesse. (laughs) That's Do you sleep ever? (laughs) I know, right? I know. And then my company's like, we're behind on creating this course. I wonder whose fault it is. And then I kind of like <laughs> pretend it's not me. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> oh, I'm the boss, so they can't fire me. So that's one good thing. <laughs> well, that is that is definitely a perk. <laughs> All right. So you've traveled around the world. You've worked for Microsoft. You worked for a whole bunch of different companies. You've had this incredible career and now you've written a book. How did that happen? So when I worked at Microsoft, uh, they're really smart, right? Like there's a lot of really smart people that work there. And absolutely. And they kept telling me, well, we need to scale you. And so, you know, in regards to computers, like you scale the cloud, you scale Azure. And they're like, how can we scale you? They're like, what if you write more and stream more and then fly less? I recommend cloning. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I was like, <laughs> when will you finish that darn cloning machine? <laughs> and, and so they, they kept talking about like ways that we could scale me. And so I started streaming online and that's part of how the dev slop 
project for OWASP started having a show. So I started streaming and then my friend Nancy started joining me and then I sneakily convinced her to join the project. Whoa. And then, <laughs> and then, um, and then they sent me, they started Microsoft Ignite the tour, which was very intensive. We flew all over. I think I did nine or 10 cities uh, in 2019 just for that on top of uh, an already quite intense schedule. And so they're like, how can we scale you more? And so people kept asking me if I was going to write a book because they liked my blog. And I was like, oh, a book sounds very hard. But my manager kept saying, like, how can we scale you? So I was like, I'm going to write a book. And they fully supported it. But then I never had any time when I worked there because I was working very hard. And so then I left to start my own company. And they're like, wait, what? I'm like, you said I should scale more. <laughs> so I'm starting my own company. And they're like, that's not what we meant. But um, they're very supportive and very very sweet. Actually, several different Microsoft employees met with me to try to help coach me, to try to help me. Some of them even offered to invest their own money. Like, I can't tell you how supportive, like, different members of the security team and then, like, different um, developer advocates or the people in their startups group, like, just so many of them reaching out to me to help me on a personal level. I'm really grateful for that. It's very, very kind. And so I'm like, I'm going to scale and start my own company. And and I had made an agreement with Wiley Books to write a book. And so I spent, I had spent maybe like a year or a year and a half researching what it would be about and planning it obsessively. So then when I submitted my, my book proposal, they're like, oh, so you've already already like started writing and stuff. I'm like, yes, I've already <laughs> hired two technical editors and I've already done this and done that. And someone's agreed to do my forward. And they're like, okay, so obsessive. Um, and then I, I made this really really short schedule of I'm going to write the whole thing in just like a handful of months. But then I also started a company at the same time, which is not obviously not ideal. And then the pandemic happened. And so my original business plan, which was me traveling around the world teaching in person, all of that got canceled. So every contract I had canceled in like a three to four week period that was very stressful. Totally yeah. And then I'm like, okay, I guess I'm making electronic courses now <laughs> and I'm doing like online consulting instead of in person. And so I had to like rearrange the whole business plan very quickly, but it turns out it's, it's working pretty well. And, um, yeah, so the book got pushed back a bit. So it's actually been later. It's being released a few months later. Like originally it was supposed to come out in June. However, my publisher has been a dream, very patient with me, very kind. I love you, Wiley. Um, <laughs> but basically, when I started learning application security, I had worked as a software developer. Like I'd been coding, I think, 19 or 20 years at that point. And I had been working as a software, like working in IT for like 17 years at that point. Because I started, I think I got my first job in 97. And so I'd been like forever... And I didn't, and basically I'm an ethical hacker. He spent a year and a half convincing me that cybersecurity could be as cool as software development. Cause I was not convinced, Jesse, I was not convinced. <laughs> and, um, because I, I had tried a stint in security earlier and I had not loved my interactions with the security team. I did anti-terrorism activities and I was like, no, this is stressful. I have nightmares. Everyone's mean. This does not interest me. So I was like, screw security. And then I met him. He was cool. He was in a band. I'm in a band. 
obviously our bands played together and then we had to make a stupid mobile app together. That was like this mandatory dance party thing because we're both very silly. Um, and then <laughs> so that sparked a friendship. And musicians. <laughs> How nerds make friends. Want to make a mobile app with me that forces people to have a dance party embarrassingly, no matter where they are, if they both have it installed. He's like, yes. Sounds like a great podcast episode. How nerds make friends. It was like the first sentence to me uh, (laughs) from me to him. I'm like, hi, I'm Tanya, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yes. (laughs) Um, And so then he convinced me to become his apprentice. And he hired me for my first job part time and then helped me get my first full time pen testing gig. And I found it so hard to learn stuff. So he was a good friend, but kind of a crappy mentor. Um, he was really hard on me. I did not understand this until I got my next mentor and my mentor after that. And after that, like he was so harsh. He's like the type of mentor where he throws you in the middle of the ocean and was like swimming works like this. And then like moving his arms a bit and being like, good luck with that. <laughs> like, yikes. Very, very, very like throwing me in the middle of things and just hoping I would swim. And I guess I swam enough because then he hired me. Um, but I found it so hard to learn the things I wanted to learn, Jesse. And I found it so frustrating. I'm like, why can't, like, why isn't there just a book on how to do application security? Like, I didn't even know it was a job that you could have full time until I was two years into my security career that you could not be a pen tester, but actually do AppSec and like do security testing and work up with DevOps people and evaluate designs. And like that, that was a job that someone would pay me to do full time instead of just going from engagement to engagement, coming in at the very end and then telling them, well, you did everything wrong. You should have called me sooner. I found that very not satisfying. And like devs are my people, right? Like (laughs) they're literally my people. And so I was like, I just want to spend lots of time with devs. And like hang out and be a security nerd with them and help them and and show them cool stuff. And you know what I mean? Like, and so when I found out that was a job, then I was trying to figure out how to learn how to do that job. And then I couldn't figure out real training on that topic. And so once I finally figured out how to do it and I was like, okay, I'm really good at it. People are willing to pay me to consult doing this. I've had lots of jobs doing this. I've seen lots of different programs at different places. I feel I know stuff. So then I'm like, I'm going to write a book. And I wanted to put literally as much knowledge as humanly possible into the 250 pages I was allowed. And it's 249 and a half pages. <laughs> Wow. Plus an appendix. Right under the wire. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, I'm going to put every single piece of information in I can. And then I have like a zillion references because my technical editors kept saying, well, you can't just say that. I'm like, but you know, it's true. And they're like, we know you have to have proof. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> so like at least 50% of my time was like trying to find other people that agreed with me in writing so that I could quote them. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. And also because... So I'm dyslexic for real. So, you know, people will say like they'll make a mistake and they'll say I'm dyslexic. I'm like, no, you just made a mistake. Um, I'm actually dyslexic. And so when I learn, I often need to do a thing. I need to hear about it. I need to see it. I need to listen. I kind of need to do all the things. And then I am the master of that thing. I'm really awesome at coding and C or whatever the thing is. And so I wanted to make a book that was really easy for adults to learn from. So 
I also found out, um, so I learned French as a second language when I was an adult, because apparently I just love challenges. And so um, as an adult at age 29, I started learning French in night school and I had to go to a special school for adults that have dyslexia or learning disabilities because I went to regular schools and I actually got kicked out. They're like, your money's no good here. We can't teach you, which really hurt. To be quite blunt, it hurt. And so I went to the school for dyslexic adults. There's one in all of Canada that teaches English and French as a second language, specifically for people, older adults and people with learning disabilities. And they told me, once you have been out of school a certain amount of time, you stop remembering how to learn. And then it's almost like you have a learning disability. And so we need to teach... You know, if someone is 50 and they're trying to learn French or English, it's really, really hard unless they've been in academia or other learning situations their whole life. They've forgotten how to learn. And so they taught me a lot about how I learn. And then I was able to just pick up so many things since then because I knew how I learned. So this book is really special because I try to approach it in the same way. So I... My blog is like this too. And same with, you know, my training company and our videos and everything. So I try to say it in a really simple, non-technical way. And then I explain it in the super technical way. And then I'm going to tell you a story about it. And then I'm going to tell you an analogy. And then I'm going to probably write out some code for you. And so in my blog, Alice and Bob, who are the kids. So the book is called Alice and Bob Learn Application Security. And Alice and Bob, do you remember, Jesse? From the beginning of encryption? No. <laughs> so, okay. So the way, the way they explained when they were trying, when all these amazing mathematicians were trying to explain what encryption was, they said, so Alice wants to tell Bob a secret and she doesn't want anyone to be able to tell what she's sending. But Bob needs to know the message is actually from Alice and not from someone else. And so they explain the SSL handshake and how encryption works. And that's actually how I learned when I was 21, because I was helping to build an SSL accelerator so many years ago. And um, so since then, Alice and Bob have been very famous in security worlds, and we often use them as examples. So Alice, like this happens to Alice or that happens to Bob in my blog. And so people loved Alice and Bob. And so I built them into the book. So Alice and Bob both have jobs and they both have health conditions and various privacy concerns and families. And it's it's not like a fictional story, like, for instance, the Phoenix Project, which and the Unicorn Project. I was just thinking of that. So <laughs> so I love Gene Kim. I'm such a huge fan of his books. Such a Same, huge fan. Absolutely. Oh, amazing. And um, so it's not like that. It's not a fable. It's more like short little, like a paragraph about Alice or a paragraph about Bob. So for instance, um, in one of the little stories, Alice, so a lot of these are things that happened to me. Um, so Alice hires a co-op student. The co-op student finds 26 different security bugs in their product in the first couple of weeks. Alice gets really angry. What are you doing? Why are you just pointing out lots of problems? This is really annoying. And then the student says, well, these things have been a problem this whole time. I didn't create them. I'm showing them to you. And now that we know about them, we can fix them. Isn't it better to know than not to know? And then Alice is like, well, yeah, that's a really good point. Okay, kid, you're not fired. Um, <laughs> but really, I'm the kid in that story. Um, and my boss did get very angry at me for finding 27 vulnerabilities and reporting them all in a week. Um, 
But the point is, oh no, yeah, she was pissed. Um, but the point is, is that these stories are things that really happen to either people I know or me, etc. And I want people to see, for instance, like Bob has a pacemaker, and we talk about how to secure his pacemaker, and we talk about you know, having a smart pacemaker and connecting it to the internet and why that might not be a good idea. And, you know, it affects his heart and how serious that is versus Alice has diabetes and she has an insulin thing that, that tells her when to do things, but she also can just do that manually. And so she, she doesn't depend on it to live in the same way that Bob does. Right. And we, we talk about the differences and the risks involved so that people can understand how to, you know, if you don't use the security header, this is how this could actually harm Alice. And it helps, I feel, developers understand better rather than just saying use a security header because I said so. Do you know what I mean? Right. Relational tidbits. Yeah. And so I start with explaining, you know, all the security concepts like defense in depth, least privilege, et cetera. And then I go into requirements for if you're building web applications, we actually eventually get into like car requirements and medical device requirements, like just a little bit so that people can think about security when they're doing those things. And then design, we go all about different design concepts and how to apply them. And another thing with this book, so I'm really bad at letting go of things. So (laughs) at the end of each chapter, I have questions. And so one of the questions in one of the chapters is, you know, what would be some requirements for securing a car operating system? Name two. Right. And so mm-hmm. whoever's reading the book is supposed to come up with two and they can look at the answer key and I'll give you two. However, um, starting in February of 2021, I'm going to be live streaming the answers with members of the information security community. And so I'm going to do a couple questions per week. And basically in the book, it invites readers to join for free. And we're going to talk out the answers because I don't want to just hear my answer. Right. I want to hear everyone's answers. And then I want to make it like a permanent record. So if someone buys the book in three years, they can go through and see much more because I wanted to write 300 more pages and that was not acceptable. (laughs) So, (laughs) so instead I'll make many hours of video. And if someone wants just the strict answer, they can have that. Or if they want to come join online in the discussions, they can have it. Or if they want to listen or watch later, they can have it. Because I just, I so desperately want the internet to be safe. And here's the thing, Jesse, you do not write a book um, because you want to make money. (laughs) Right. Because I would be getting paid $1 per hour. You write it because you care so much about the thing and you need it to exist. And so I'm doing all of these things starting in February on the internet because I want these discussions to be had and I want information to be accessible. I want security information to be democratized. And I know I I sell training, right? And like that is my full-time job, but I feel like certain things just should be for everyone. Do you know what I mean? Like it shouldn't be this hard. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many people out there that, you know, are trying to build these things and are good coders, but don't necessarily uh, know how to do this side of the business or haven't necessarily been exposed to it. And this is uh, this sounds like an incredible resource. I can't wait to read it myself. Oh, thank you. I'm also like so I I went to college, not university. And I mean, I graduated in like 2000. So (laughs) Um, that's a long time ago. Um, But even now, even if you take 
cyber courses, and I'm saying that in quotation marks, they don't teach you how to create secure software. They might teach you how to hack two or three things. They might mention the OWASP top 10, but they're not going to teach you the topic of application security. They're not going to teach you, like, this is how you design secure applications. And then this is how you threat model to make sure that you haven't missed anything. And then this is how you look for your threat models when you review your code. And this is how you test for your threat. Do you, do you know what I mean? And so... Um, the pandemic has presented this very, very weird potential opportunity. Um, so I've had a bunch of universities reach out to me and they say, hey, would you like to be an adjunct professor? And I say, sure. How much does it pay? <laughs> and then they say, it pays less than minimum wage and we will own all your content after and you will basically work for us like a dog. And because you don't have a PhD, <laughs> we're not going to pay you even a living wage. And it's basically like volunteer work. And I respond with, I don't volunteer for organizations that have millions upon millions of dollars. <laughs> I volunteer wow. for community groups. I volunteer for OWASP, right? OWASP does not have millions and millions of dollars. Let me tell you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so there's like this disconnect, right? So what my company is doing is we're reaching out and basically I'm offering, I will create an electronic course for your students and you can pay for the license for it for the semester for how much you would pay an adjunct professor if they buy the book. Because my publisher said that they have to buy the book or I'm not allowed basing a course off the book because I don't own the copyright to my own book. That's normal, just to be clear. That's normal in the uh -huh. publishing industry. And so... We're currently in talks with a bunch of universities. And so if I build this course, it'll take a long time. Don't get me wrong. But if they run it every semester and I get, it's literally, Jesse, it's four and a half thousand Canadian dollars per semester. So that's 3000 American dollars. That's not a lot of money. It is not a lot of money. However, let's say I have it going at 12 universities and then I'm reaching out to like 4,000 students per semester. To me, that's making this huge difference and it would be worth it even though it's not really lucrative, I would not use the word lucrative, <laughs> um, but I would feel like I'm making a big difference. And then at least I don't feel like I'm volunteering for an organization that has millions of dollars. Like it would be different if they're like, could you volunteer? And it's not for an universities are rich, Jesse. Do you know how, how rich universities are? I've heard, I've heard. Yeah, exactly. And like, that's my main objection. And they're like, oh, but we can't afford. I'm like, yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> well, creating a platform like this certainly sounds like an embo the embodiment of Microsoft telling you, keep scaling. Right. And then we also have professional training that's for professionals. And that is priced at like it's well below what you would pay at SANS or anything like that. But it's <laughs> it's not what the university would be paying for, like 400 students to take the course. It's, because enterprises, again, have money. It's, it's weird to walk a dance of, I really want to share everything with everyone for free because I care so much about it versus I have a mortgage and I now have five employees. Well, as of Thursday, my new, my sixth employee, my sixth member of my team starts. <laughs> That's amazing. And so whenever I think about me giving away something for free, I think about their mortgages. And their rents. <laughs> and then yeah, I'm like, definitely. okay, we need to compromise. It cannot be free. Now, one of the problems of a lot of our listeners that are in the small to mid-size space is that they don't have massive budgets oh, of yeah. enterprise. What would you recommend for them? Um, I would recommend 
a lot of things. So like I said, we charge way less. Also, <laughs> also you can buy um, books. So I, a bunch of my clients are bulk buying my book, in which case you can get a really big discount from my publisher. So if you want to buy 10 or 20 books, let me know. And then they'll give you, depending upon how many you are buying, a really nice discount versus a ridiculous discount. Um, and so that's cool. Like one of my clients is like, I want to order 350 books. I was like, Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> because they, he's like, we have 400 developers. So, or they have 350 or 400 ish developers. And he said, I want all of them to have that on their desk. I want no excuses. Um, and I go mm -hmm. in and train there. Right. And so there's a lot of, Oh, did you forget what she said in the training? You know, like, here's the video, here's this, here's that. Right. Um, other things I suggest is quite frankly, my company, um, cause I can't help it. We're just giving away a bunch of stuff for free. So <laughs> if you join our mailing list, we give away a PDF like once a month with, so this month it was how to harden Azure, like best practices for hardening Azure. I think next month is going to be API security, best practices, uh, and so we're giving it away one line at a time on our Twitter or whatever, or you can just go and download it from our website, or you can join the mailing list and then we'll email it to you. But the idea is, is we're giving a lot of stuff away for free to try to help. Does that make sense? And so having a PDF that's two pages that is all about like how to do secure serverless and just the best practices, that's a pretty good deal for free right? <laughs> or for joining a mailing list. Yeah, definitely. And, and as you mentioned, buying books and reading from other books that are out there is that's a lot of the training that I've done. I actually did not go to university or college and, uh, all the training that I've done over the years and ways that I've learned has been through community learning or asking lots of questions or just trial and error. And a lot of it has been reading books and that's just a huge passion of mine. And to your point earlier that you made about going back to school and having to relearn how to learn, mm -hmm. I found personally that staying sharp by learning, reading a book a month, something along those lines, uh, you know, reading lots of articles online and, and just being curious about the developments in the world and, and staying up to date has really helped me to maintain that skill, even though I never properly developed it through the traditional path, if you will. Jesse, I am so into learning. I am. So I read a, a number of books that is quite high. I love books and I love podcasts. And so if people are listening to this, I have a podcast and it's about how to get into information security and it's called the We Hack Purple podcast. Of course. But there are so many amazing podcasts that taught me a lot. So one that um, I really like that taught me a lot is um, exploring information security. Uh, I really, really liked that one. And I really liked... Um, breaking down security with Brian Brake and um, Amanda Berlin. And I can't believe I forget the third host's name. I feel very silly because I've met them. Um, they like, like as the name suggests. So, so the host's name is Brian Brake. And so it's a play on his name, but they break down a lot of concepts within security, which I found really, really helpful. Um, I love risky business because it's just fun hearing the two hosts trash everyone in the news. <laughs> um, and then they have like a feature article thing where I find that they often teach me really cool lessons. Um, like they're, they had this one episode about ephemeral vulnerabilities. So serverless that would just pop up. They were super vulnerable and then they would disappear and they would just pop up for like 10 seconds every 90 minutes 
and how to catch those if you're a pen tester. It's so cool. And so lots of really good podcasts. And I know we're not commuting right now, but for instance, um, like I walk and run, I'm that person. And then I have, I have, I have a farm as well, um, as a hobby. And so, you know, like I'm moving dirt or harvesting or whatever, and I listen to podcasts and, um, my sweetheart bought me some wireless headphones because I have now cut three sets of headphone wires while I was pruning tomatoes. (laughs) I I knew you would think I would learn my lesson. Um, another good way to learn, which I know that, you know, I was going to bring up is finding a professional mentor. Yes. A few years ago, I started this hashtag and it started as mentoring Monday. And then it got so huge that so many people were using it. You couldn't find the cybersecurity stuff. And so now it's cyber mentoring Monday. And every single Monday, myself and several other amazing humans from the information security community tweet out and say, are you looking for a mentor? Are you looking for help? And then we try to pair people with other people that are more senior than them that can teach them cool new stuff. We try to help give people resources. So let's say you're not sure what you want to get into. Um, I actually wrote an article and then I ended up starting the, the, the We Hack Purple podcast because so constantly people kept asking me, I don't know what I want to do. Like they didn't even know what the different jobs were. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what I was like. I thought you were a risk analyst or a pen tester. I honestly did not know there were other jobs. And then I got to do incident response and I was like, this is so cool. I got to do um, some forensics. I like just, I was really lucky to get to try a whole bunch of things. And so I wrote this article about all the different types of jobs. And I kid you not, Jesse, it got 40,000 reads the first week. And then it has gotten four or 500 reads every week since January. Oh, there's so much obscurity around this whole field. I mean, by its own nature, but, you know, like you said before, helping to democratize that and get this out there is only going to help people get better at this. Yeah. So basically I made a pot. So I'm sure you know this. So there's a secret about being a podcast host is that you get to interview people that you've always wanted to meet. (laughs) It's amazing. Right? And so then I I was just like, oh, like this person, she's the CEO of this awesome company. So I had this woman named Jules Akforon last week and she's just this amazing badass. And I saw her present and she was the MC for this giant award ceremony and I was nominated and I totally didn't win, but it's okay because my friend won and she cried. She was so happy. Um, But the point is... Jules was amazing. She was so charming and so funny. She actually had me crying at one point because I was laughing so hard. And then I was like, I have a podcast. Will you be on? And it sounds like you're really cool because you have a podcast, right? And then I got to ask her, so you're a CEO. What's that like? And, you know, does it pay well? A lot of people don't understand that certain jobs pay really well and certain jobs do not pay well. Um, A lot of people don't understand how many hours you have to put into certain things or what types of, you know, training you could take to get a job or, a lot of things that have come up is like how to be a CISO and what types of experience you need so that you could get there the fastest and just having the inside take from several different people. So this week we're having this woman on named Tracy Martin and she is the senior security person engineer for IOT devices. And like, that's awesome. (laughs) That is super cool. And it's an exploding area as well. Yeah. And so we get to have like this inside scoop, like how did you get a job? First of all, like how'd you learn about IOT and the security of IOT? Because I don't know a course about that, 
Right. And so then mm-hmm. how do you get there? How do you do it? And cause I basically one wanted to just interview cool people <laughs> and two, because my, my business is like, so how are we going to make money off this? I'm like, I don't know. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. My staff are so patient with me. Um, but anyway, I was just like, let's do it. It'll be amazing. Um, and it's been so fun. We've had, I think, seven, six or seven episodes now. And it's just, I get to learn so much amazing stuff. Honestly, sometimes I'm like, maybe I want to go work there. And I'm like, no, 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 Tanya, you have your own company. Stop that. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like it's been really helpful for a lot of people. Uh, People have been writing me and telling me, you know, I thought I wanted to do this. It turns out I want to do that. And so I want to shine lots of lights on all sorts of things. Like, for instance, what's the difference between being a pen tester versus being an AppSec person? And like, can you specialize in threat modeling, et cetera? And so I basically like lots of amazing humans I've met at conferences, people I've heard on podcasts. I just wrote all of them and was really super nice. And then lots of them said yes. I was surprised, like wonderfully surprised how many of these people where I'm like, you're so awesome. I can't believe you said yes. <laughs> That's my secret. It's pretty much what I do. I go, well, used to go to conferences and I would be the first person in line to ask a question of the person out in the hallway or whatever. And I would just say, that was a phenomenal talk. Nice to meet you. I have a podcast. I'd love to interview you. And amazingly, shockingly, so many of them say yes. I know, right? And some of them, I'm just like, you're so amazing. And and then I'm like, don't fangirl. Don't fan. Just remain calm, uh, yep, Tanya. Yeah. <laughs> My friends make fun of me and my, my friends, my colleagues as well. Whenever they're at a conference with me and like the, the session is ending, I explode out of my seat and they always make fun of me. They're like, oh, there he goes again. Then we'll see him in 20 minutes. <laughs> I am that awkward person that waits like really awkwardly staring at them like a puppy until everyone's gone. I'm like, hi. Oh, you're the last one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, hi. And usually like I'm me. So I'm wearing like this bright red dress or something. It's not like I'm hiding. Of course. And then I like wave at them all awkward. Like I'm like, hi, I'm Tanya. Like I know who you are. You were in the front row when you asked 47 questions. (laughs) 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 I was, I was like that when I was at a uh, bank event in LA and I got to hear firsthand from the well-known catch me if you can guy, Frank Abagnale. And I went up to him afterwards and I was just like, this is the coolest thing ever. So he's, he's going to, I'm going to get him on the podcast somehow. I don't know how, but at some point I got to get him. I got his, I got his card and also just standing in front of him. I didn't know what to say. I was just like, keep it down, keep it cool. Just be awesome. Just talk. (laughs) I, I once saw this talk. So I was in Singapore and this guy named Imran Mohammed got up. And so he, so I had given a keynote and so all these people come up to me after, but I, I don't know if you're like this, but after I give a talk, I almost feel high. I'm so excited. And so sometimes I, I can't remember everything that happens because I'm so excited. And so he mm-hmm. came up to me and said, that was a great talk. And so then he did his talk and I don't know how to explain, but it was like, he spoke to me. His talk was so amazing. And like, obviously we agreed on everything because we're both AppSec nerds. And then he presented a bunch of new ideas I didn't know yet. And so I came up to him after and I was like, your talk was amazing. He's like, your talk was amazing. I'm like, I think you're so awesome. I'm like, I have this open source project called DevSwap. Do you want to be a part of it? He's like, yes. And then I was like, oh my God, you said yes. I was not expecting that. I'm like, I'm too excited. I literally, I'm like, I have to go calm down and then come back and talk to you again. Is that okay? And he's like, yes. And they just start laughing. And so then I came back like half an hour later after it calmed down. And I was like, do you still want to talk to me? He's like, yes. (laughs) 
That's amazing. And we have had a many year friendship since then. And I remember the conference organizers are like, you were so cute. You're like, I am too excited. I have to go calm down. I've never seen that before. I'm like, I'm just <laughs> glad that he didn't think I was this weirdo. Or at least I was an acceptable type of weirdo for him. <laughs> Let's jump back for a sec. I want to ask your advice on finding a mentor. It's something that I've tried to do a couple of times and it just hasn't stuck. How does that work other than being paired up on Twitter? Okay. What what happens there? So my first professional mentor, well, I guess I had professional mentors and didn't call them that and didn't realize that's what they were. Um, and then my first official professional mentor, he kept telling me as we were friends, I'm not going to be your mentor. You're not going to be my apprentice. I'm not doing this again. And I was like, okay, I didn't ask. What are you talking about? Stop being weird. And then he started <laughs> saying, I really want you to join security. And I was like, no, software development is the best. I am literally the king of software. I am the king of IT. I build something out of nothing every day. Nothing is better. He's like, no, but you're so smart. You'd be so good at ethical hacking. And I was like, I build stuff. It's amazing. And he's like, you could get paid more. I'm like, I don't believe you. And like, he just kept trying. And then eventually he's like, fine, I'll be your mentor. And I was like, what? He's like, I'm asking you to be my apprentice. And I was like, oh, and by that point, it'd been a year and a half of him coming in and talking to my dev team and teaching us stuff, him dragging me. So he ran his own security conference. He dragged me to it. I went to another, con you know what I mean? So I guess he decided he was my mentor. And then the next one, I was kind of stalking him for a while. Like I knew him. He was really smart. He was really cool. And he ran the B-Sides conference in my city. And I was like, he's amazing. He writes the super advanced hacker courses for SANS. He's like super brilliant. Um, and so I started a mentoring program for my OWASP chapter so that he would come so that I could ask him. And so I paired up all these other people with tons of mentors. And I'd asked him to come and so then at the end of the night, I was like, hi. And he's like, so are you going to ask me or what? I'm like, will you be my mentor? He's like, yeah, you didn't have to do all this shit. You could have just asked. <laughs> like, what be was direct. this? Huge, I'm like, I had to like work up the nerve. Okay, buster. <laughs> and so then he was my mentor for around a year. And he was the one that signed me up to speak at B-Sides without telling me. <laughs> nice. And then proceeded to help me and push me to get on stage and I did it and I thought I would die, but I didn't, he was right. I did not die. <laughs> um, and then, so for my next couple of professional mentors, I knew I was gonna start a startup and I knew I did not know all the things I needed to know. And so I started thinking about people that I admired. And so I, I don't, so I'm out with one of my professional mentors, like our relationship is public, but the other two it's private. So I'm not going to name them. So one of them, he is a founding member of a big, amazing security startup that created a product I really love and is totally awesome. And I just, I wrote him and I'm like, I need to ask you an important question. Uh, could we have a thing? And I just explained to him, I'm starting the startup and I just, I respect you. I respect your opinions. You're this amazing human would you consider mentoring me? And he was like, Oh my God. Yes. Um, and then, um, another one, she worked with my uncle and she has started two brand name companies. 
Um, she's been the founder of two brand name companies. She's so amazing. And my uncle and her work together and he's like, I want her to mentor you. She's awesome. I have a feeling it'll be love at first sight. And so the first time we talked, we just connected so perfectly. And she's like, oh, I'm in girl. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> the one that I'm public and out about is Chensi Wang. Um, so she has founded many, many companies and now she is the founder of Rain Capital and she invests in 50% women founded companies. And she's just so amazing. She's worked in AppSec like 20 years and she kept talking to me when I had started my company and she just kept giving me amazing advice and we kept meeting regularly. And then I was like, do you want to make it official? And she's like, yes. <laughs> um, and she has just been this wealth of knowledge and just has been like, just so selflessly helping me over and over again, like, like re meeting with me regularly, even though she's like a ridiculously in demand human, like, and so when I announced I was starting the company, all of these different people in the application security community cornered me and was like, how can I help you? I want you to succeed. Like person after person, Jesse, like founders of really big companies, founders of smaller companies coming up to me, Tanya, I am so happy you took the jump. How can I make sure you float? And some of them like between sponsoring my podcast or sponsoring content with me or just introducing me like, um, you know, Katie Missouri of Luna security. She's just like constantly referring awesome clients to me and just like offering me fantastic advice. Like just so many humans have just like bent over backwards to try to help me. Like I have never felt so loved. Seriously. It's really phenomenal. And you're doing, you're doing excellent work and you're doing work for the community. Even if you, you know, it's a business, it's still, you're giving back. And, and that's what I try to do with this podcast as well. And I just, I think that's incredible. Thank you. So I guess if people are trying to find a professional mentor, one, put yourself out there and ask, and two, listen to your darn mentor. Like whenever Chensi <laughs> gives me advice. First of all, I never ask her a question unless I've researched the crap out of it and tried to figure it out myself. And then two, like if she gives me advice, I run out and do that stuff. I don't ask for advice and then just ignore her. It doesn't mean that I blindly do everything she says, but her advice tends to be pretty rock solid, to be quite honest. Um, and so, and she doesn't, no mentor tells you what to do. They say, oh my gosh, that sounds bad. Have you thought of this, this, or this? Or, oh my gosh, that sounds great. Like, why are you concerned? Why are you asking me? What worries you? If you're a really good mentee, mentors will come out of the woodwork. Does that make sense? And like, if you ask people advice and then you run out and do it and then thank them, of course, and acknowledge their effort, like... I have seen mentors and mentees where the mentee is like super ungrateful or they treat them like a free consultant. They're like, could you please like write this up for me as though you work for them? No, oh. no, 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 no. Yikes. Yeah. I have a blog article about how to be a good mentee um, and a blog article about how to be a good mentor. And like part of, so I mentor a whole bunch of other people and I also advocate for a lot of other people. So for instance, um, when I was traveling for Microsoft, 
they would pay for a hotel room and they would pay my flights. And so sometimes if I knew another woman was coming and she was paying her own flight and she was going to speak at the conference, if I already kind of knew her, I would be like, I don't mean to be weird, but like, are you paying for your own hotel? Like I can get two queen size beds. Do you want to share? Because I have paid myself before. Right. And now, like now that I'm solo, I'm paying again. And I've had so many women say like, Hey, I see you're going to this. I know you don't have support from Microsoft anymore. Want to share my hotel room? I'm like, oh, wow, thank you. And it's a circular process. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And I feel like a lot of us have power and we can choose to just keep that power to ourselves or we can choose to share. And I don't mean that everyone should run around sharing hotel rooms and maybe that's weird, (laughs) right? But there's so many things that we can do. So for instance, if you're the keynote at a conference, you could suggest a couple speakers that are from underrepresented groups that you know are really good and you've seen them speak. And so you strongly can confidently recommend them, but maybe they didn't get a second look because they're not that well known. Do you know what I mean? Right. And so you could yeah, for sure. gently suggest to the conference like, hey, you know, this person's really amazing and they have this amazing talk about this. And I saw it and I loved it and I think it would really fit in well. And because it's coming from someone who is in a position of authority, they're often more likely to consider it. Um, and so all of us have power. Like Jesse, you have a lot of power as a podcast host. You have lots Thank of power. You. And so you can choose to try really hard to invite like diverse guests. You can choose to... I don't know, give away cool things or I don't know, whatever the things are. But if you think about it, you probably have a lot of power you don't realize. And so we can all take that power and we can use it for good. I love it. It's fantastic. Um, Last question I have for you, just because this is called supporting IT support. And a good number of our listeners are in IT support, but some of them, uh, uh, some that I have actually spoken to are looking to get into security. How would you recommend they get started in application security or in cybersecurity? Okay. So the first thing you need to do is figure out which areas you think are the coolest and then investigate those areas because switching jobs five times is not really super convenient. No. (laughs) And I, I would suggest you do it more efficiently than I did. And so reading, um, so I'll send you a link to the article about all the different types of jobs. For sure. I'll post it in the, uh, in the notes. Yeah. So reading articles like that about all the different types of jobs and then see which ones you think sound cool to you. Obviously I'm biased, but check out my podcast because you can learn about the different types of jobs and also especially what types of aptitudes and personality types are best for different jobs. Like for instance, Someone who's a pen tester might not make a great risk analyst or might not be a great CISO. And maybe you'll hate being a CISO or maybe you'll hate being a pen tester. Like I loved breaking stuff, but I found being a pen tester not as satisfying as doing AppSec. I guess I like long-term relationships and I love hanging out (laughs) with devs. And I just kept literally hanging out with devs. Um, And so... Then go to meetups once it's safe or go to online chats or discord channels and like meet other people that do stuff like that and like ask them questions. Try not to be annoying, but lots of people are happy to talk about what they like about their job. 
right? So let's say you want to be a pen tester, you know, the DEF CON meetups, they'll have like little places where you can chat. It's probably a good place to chat people up. If you want to learn AppSec, go to OWASP. If you want to learn risk analysis, there's ISSA and ISACA. And so first figure out where your interest is and then kind of try to hang out in those areas and network and meet people. And if you can try doing some of the work, there's lots of free different trainings. For instance, like on Saturday, I'm doing a free training on how to do DAS, which is like kind of like web app scanning and like looking for vulnerabilities. There's lots of cool free stuff. It's not super intense and you won't necessarily be qualified to go do the job right after. But if you do a workshop and you're like, oh my gosh, I love that. Then you know you're onto something. But sometimes I go to a workshop and I'm like, this sucks. I hate this. Um, like for instance, I don't love risk analysis. I'm glad that there are other humans that love it, but it turns out I don't have a really good aptitude for it. And I find it frustrating. And so you need someone that's going to love it to do a great job at it. Right. Or at least have the right personality type. And so I'm super social, which is part of why I was better at AppSec than pen testing. Pen testing is Mm -hmm. spending a lot of time by yourself. And specifically in a data center, freezing my derriere off. And and so if you really like being by yourself and just concentrating like really hard and cringing super awesome problems, like maybe being a pen tester would be awesome for you. But if you're a social butterfly, then maybe it's not, right? And so figuring out the thing that you want, trying bits of it, and then trying to find a professional mentor in that area and then coming up with a learning plan to get you to your job. Like, I know that sounds like a lot. Chapter 10 in my book describes this. It actually is a chapter dedicated solely to how to learn how to do the thing you want to do, not necessarily AppSec, because I wanted to serve everyone. Um, But yeah, I really want people to join InfoSec. I want everyone to join. I want white men to join that are straight and cis. I want every single other type of human to join Um, because we need help really badly. <laughs> oh yeah. It's not a fight we can win on our own. Yeah. And honestly, people that have done IT support, oh, they're so ideal. They're so ideal. So first of all, they already have I've lots of that. patience. They have lots of problem solving skills and they're really good at a little bit of everything. So they have this amazing foundation to start with. And I mean, when you do support, you do little workarounds and this and that all the time. That's packing. That's part of hacking. (laughs) Trust me. And so they basically already have a foundation of a lot of different things. And they have a bunch of experience that looks good on their resume. So it's a very, very, very good start. Wow. Tanya, you're a wealth of information. And this has been so much fun. And if I don't cut you off there, we may never stop recording this podcast. (laughs) We're going to have to have you on again. Um, Folks, continue the conversation by joining us on Twitter. I'm on all the time. Tanya, you never sleep, obviously. So (laughs) you're on all the time. You can find me on Twitter as Mr. J. Nolan and Tanya as She Hacks Purple, spelled like it sounds. Did I get that right? Yep, absolutely. And we hack purple if you want little mini lessons so we're tweet we're tweeting little mini lessons and we actually have started quizzes as well friday quizzes (laughs) 
I love it. I love it. And also, everybody, you can feel free to join the Tab Geeks Slack community. There's no sponsors and no no assholery allowed. That's at tabgeeks.com forward slash Slack. Everybody is invited. Tanya, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that we finally figured out how to make it work. Finally. Yes, my pleasure. And we'll have you again soon. Awesome. That's all, folks.